If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wired Access. We'll do it live. Wired Access. Do it live. Wired Access. Welcome to Wired Access Podcast. I'm your host, DJ K-Dub Omaha. This is a Herd at Sports production. To my left, I have Eli Small, who is committed to Kentucky, playing baseball for them this year. But he is locally from Elkhorn South. But don't forget about that small city, Blair. Eli Small. And to his left, I have the man, the myth, the legend from Wired Training, Brian Southworth. Remember, if you like this episode or any other, click that like down below that thumbs up, share it, tweet it, whatever you do to share it, to get this message out. We're just looking to get this to one player, one parent that might get some help for their athlete in their future. Eli, welcome to the show. How are you doing? It is the holidays. So you get a little bit of relaxation, right? Yeah, no, happy to be here. Happy to be home. See some friends and family, spend some time training with Brian and my dad. It's been nice so far. Well, it's funny that you say friends and family because, like, sometimes people take that stuff for granted, and especially now you're on the, the college route. But your game of baseball has started a long time ago. The love for the game, but the life that you started with. What do you first remember when it comes to your game of baseball? When do you even remember picking up that bat and ball? Oh, man, I would say some of my earliest memories were probably – Back in 7U, I was playing for the Blair Cubs. And just with my dad, we had this little field that was, like, behind this, like, car auto shop. And it was just some, like, little thing. But I remember, like, my dad always taking me up there and me just loving it. Now, did you also get involved in other sports at that young of an age? Yeah, I would say I was a four sport, maybe if we count soccer. I think I played soccer for a little bit, and I was definitely into football and basketball, too. It's funny that you say soccer. We just had a great moment with Jake Myers of the Houston Astros last week about how soccer can impact a a, a baseball player. And Brian brought up some good points that some people kind of lose sight on of what sports can help another sport. Some people, especially in this day and age, there's a lot of trying to go to one sport. Do you feel like that helped you in an early age to make you more dedicated to where you are today? Um, Definitely. I feel like just playing a whole bunch of sports when you're younger is just good for you because it's going to make you more athletic. And then it's also just like what helps me in one sport that I can maybe use in another sport. Like probably with Jake and like soccer, like footwork is probably huge. And then like it allows that to like transfer over to your other sports. So I think that playing as many sports as you can when you're young is great. So you're growing up, you're, you start out in Blair. When did you move out of Blair or what was that track like? Because I could say from a football coach and a basketball coach here, the small cities around here aren't going to be small much anymore. You see Blair coming up. You see obviously Elkhorn grew to where they had two high schools. You got Gretna two high schools. You got, you know, all these schools that constantly have to build on. What's your thoughts when it comes in? What do you remember of Blair? 
Um, I just remember in Blair, it was great, but I never really played sports in Blair was my thing is I was always going to Omaha constantly. I, was, I played football, basketball and baseball all from 8U on in like Omaha or Elkhorn. So my family, we moved my summer of seventh going into eighth grade so I could go to Elkhorn South for high school because we knew that I was kind of planned. And another person, shout out Cole Eaton, supposed to be here. But, um, <laughs> Our families basically talked about it because he was also from Blair that we wanted to go to the same high school together still. So we made that move. And then just from then on, it's always been an Elkhorn. All right, Elkhorn. I got to ask you, because I remember when this happened, when Elkhorn North was getting built and the line moved, did your family have to think about moving or were you in the right area for Elkhorn South? Because I could tell you, my son played for the junior Skyhawks and we played out there and there was families talking to me about possibly having to move just across the street in that expansion move. Yeah, no, I was lucky enough. Actually, I live like two minutes from the school, so I'm, I'm pretty much as safe as you can get. So I, I was pretty lucky in that regard, but there was definitely a lot of stories of like people were like, man, literally like my neighbor right next to me goes to Elkhorn North. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. And, and when you think of that expansion in your time, you're also dealing with COVID right after. What do you think that did? Did that make you guys become stronger because some athletes did have to go, or did it did it create a line between the ones that were your friends and now they're they're now playing at Elkhorn North? Yeah, well, I would definitely say that it probably brought us more together because we know my so that was my freshman year. Our freshman year team would have been really good, and I feel like a lot of people, especially like when it was like when time to get our sophomores, like man, what like what would what would we have done with that? freshman year team but I always had the mindset of like who cares like we don't really have that anymore like we just have to move on like build what we have here so well I like that he said that you know you had to go with the who cares because I could tell on the basketball side my son's a, a 2024 I remember Elkhorn basketball on the select side going from four teams to like 10 or 12 and you're like something's going on major out there that that one it also spreads out the talent and, and it can affect the team. Brian, obviously your son's coming up. These are decisions you have to look for. If you had to have a kid that was going through this, what what would be your pulling point to one school or the other, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's tough in the environment we are. It's it's almost a little sad that you start thinking about like you're choosing high schools. It's like a, it's like a whole recruitment process, right? Right now and in, in choosing high schools. But, you know, I mean, I, I think it's just all about finding the the right atmosphere and the right culture that he's going to thrive in, right? Someone that he wants to go play for someone that he's going to want to, you know, please that coach and show up to like 6am lift or, or whatever it is. I mean, I think the culture is the most important because they don't get a ton of time with them anyway. So, you know, the time that, that they have with them is really important. All the time matters. I like that you said that because everybody thinks, Oh, every high school coach gets, gets these kids. They can get them from a to B with with a straight line but they can't without trainers like yourself at wire train but others what was your guys's connection to elkhorn south and why did you and cole choose that i know cole ain't here but obviously you made a big decision together as families um we just saw it kind of like as an up-and-coming program and we really like coach doll and just i we thought that the competition was going to be really good we'd heard a lot of good things obviously academically they've always been on top which was like important for my mom and then for the sports Obviously, they had been like on the right track, so my dad liked them for that reason, and we just like figured, let's go start a program there. I do like that you're talking about sports, academics, and stuff like that, especially when you look at. Do you think the Class B 
rating of like a Blair and then the class A of like an Elkhorn South, does that come in determination, do you think, as parents and as your guys' decision? Um, definitely. I would say like class B and class A, I would say the competition is quite a bit different. Just you have so many more kids who are like going D1, like going to these like bigger programs that are like in class A. So I'd say if you're like for the competition wise, I would I would say if you're like trying to play against like the best kids in your state, try to play in the biggest classes you can. But also, just as Jake Myers said last week, if it's about your career, you got to do what's best for your career. And if you're not going to get playing time at those big schools, don't be afraid to go to that class B. So that's always a good thing to press high school. What all do you remember? It's not that long ago. COVID year really took a turn, and that's stuff that I can't talk about. Brian can as far as we didn't live it. We just lived it with our kids. What was that like, and what's the biggest thing that you you kind of had to grow and adjust during that time? I would say during COVID, it was just honestly like a grind period for me. It was just the time where I was like really getting after in the weight room. I was putting on a lot of weight, and just like all of my numbers were like starting to go up. So I that's like when I started like to seeing myself because I just committed pretty recently – because my freshman year, I committed to Kentucky, but I still wasn't like a developed player. Like I'm young, I'm like 14, 15. And it was like my time to start like really like honing in on like my skills. Cause I had like the raw power, but I was still kind of like all over the place. Like my body wasn't mature. Like my mental approach was like nowhere near it is now. And it was just like kind of my time to like grow like as a player and a person, just kind of like find myself a little bit. Do you think that helped you more than if you would have played your freshman year? Oh, definitely. Cause I was. It would have been tough because it's just kind of like the expectations. Like I would have been a freshman on varsity, and just recently committed, just to a committed, big school before yeah. we played one inning of varsity ball. Uh huh. It definitely would have been a lot of pressure, and because I don't even know if I would have started either, which probably would have been tough for me. With you know always being like, <clears throat> you know, a better kid on your team, you're always like, you always play, and you're used to it. And then it probably would have been like a little bit like tough. I don't know like how I would have handled it as a freshman, being like. Man, I don't know, like, am I better than this kid? Like, what do I need to do to play? And just, like, I think, honestly, like, COVID was probably a little blessing in disguise for me. What I really like about you there, Eli, what you really brought out is things that some people are afraid to say. If I'm not the guy and I'm a freshman having to go through this process, my mind could have been out the water and I would have never even thought twice to be right back on track. When you look at something like that, committing as a freshman, we had uh, Kel Fountain on this show. Um, when we were back at Wired, and we're actually going to have him after the new year again to update for him because he committed as an eighth grader. It was one of the hardest interviews, and I only say that because you're, I'm going as a father going in eighth grade, how do you know? Freshman year, how do you know this is what you want? And that's where you want to go. Oh, I would say it was pretty easy for me. So I had been up there in early September on just an unofficial, and it went great. I... I obviously performed pretty good at this camp. And then afterwards, coaches just kind of take me around, show me because their facilities were just getting finished at that point. Their $50 million brand new stadium, which is crazy. I think it's insane. I think it's one of the best deals <laughs> in the country. Their locker mind. room, everything else. <laughs> everything, yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and, and out of Kentucky, what drove that? I mean, even just a camp in Kentucky, What? where did that start to go, I want to go to a camp in Kentucky? Because when you're local, if you play in tournaments for your select team, you're going maybe Kansas City, Des Moines. You're not, you're not really going outside of the Midwest. What took you to yeah. Kentucky? So I had a coach named Ajay for Tri-State Arsenal, and he was like, okay, like send me like your top 10 schools. And this was like my 
summer, like my eighth grade, going to my freshman year summer, like some of your top 10 schools that you're interested in. And Kentucky wasn't on my top 10, like I, nowhere on my radar. And then he called me one day. He was like, he's like, yo, like Kentucky, they like you. Like, like, what do you think about them? I was like, they're in the SEC. They're building this crazy facility right now. Like, I'm definitely like down to like, like go see it. And he's like, okay. So then we had a couple calls with the coaches, got some things set up. And then when I finally made it down there, me and my dad fell in love, but my mom wasn't there. And then a big thing for her is uh, Coach Minji owns a Christian. And so my mom loved that. And it's just kind of like the perfect storm of everything coming together. And we prayed about it. And as a family, just decided it was the right decision and pulled the trigger. Dude, that, that, that really hits hard because decisions can be made without parents there. But when it took the fact of how mom felt was in consideration, obviously at a younger age, you feel that's important. Do you think for those kids that might not be making the decision till 11 or 12, do you think they really take those into consideration sometimes? Or do you think because you were young, that was at top of your mind? Cause I know as, as, as guys, when we get older, we love mom, but sometimes we don't want to listen all the time. Do you feel like that was kind of a little more impactful for you at a, at a younger age than it would be if it was later? Um, I don't know. For me, I'm always a mama's boy. So I'm probably <laughs> always gonna like at least ask for her opinion. Yeah. But just at that point, I mean, and it's like it was a big thing for me too, because just trying to find like like this is gonna be the guy that like can potentially like be like the last coach you have before your pro career. And you just want it to be like a man who you think is gonna not only just develop you as a player, but as a man and just like show you like how to like carry yourself on like college baseball field because there is a huge difference between the way you carry yourself on a high school baseball field and on a college baseball field. And that was pretty like easy to see like this fall. All right, Brian, uh, we've, we've talked to a lot of baseball players at different levels, different stages, but the things that Eli is like talking about is just some like beyond the game, beyond the field, yeah. beyond the, the diamond. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And this is what some people don't understand when we're looking for and wanting to share their stories. This is it right here. The whole down to the to the grid of why. Yeah, I mean, Eli is is very unique. He's I mean, he's well, well beyond his years, you know, maturity wise. And he's always had a the goal has always been there with Eli. Right. I don't think there's ever any like, hey, what do I want to do with my life? Where do I want to go? What do, you know what I want? I mean, in in retrospective. You've probably played more baseball outside the state of Nebraska than inside the state of Nebraska, right? I mean, so this decision, this decision started a long time ago. You know, I, I think it would be good to share your share your path that you took. So, you know, we're thinking like you started baseball, Blair Cubs, right? Um, then you played Tigers, right? But talk about the path that you took, and, and Kendall, you can expand on this a little bit. But so I think you started with like 3D, right? So now we're getting outside of the Omaha baseball. We're going to national scale, and and we know, I mean, being good in Nebraska sometimes is like being the best snowboarder in Mexico, right? It's no, about- no, you're right. I, I like that comparison, but I, what I also like is the connection to get outside is hard to find unless unless you have the right people leading that. Where did that come from, the connection outside? So mine is actually kind of crazy, My how I got like started on like the, I would say, like showcase kind of like elite teams that like you'll see playing is I was nine years old playing in a tournament in Iowa. And shout out, Dominic Robinson is my guy. And 
he he saw me playing and he was just he's in the stands he's like he's like yo who like who's the parent of the catcher and obviously <laughs> my mom my mom is the most reserved like quiet lady and she's just kind of like look because my dad's coaching me obviously she's like it's, it's my kid <laughs> well yeah because she don't know if it's good bad yeah. or different she's like gosh is this and dominic's guy? a big dude i mean dominic, he's intimidating so dominic played uh, baseball and football at FSU and then had an NFL career with the Chargers. Okay. So he's like, he's put together and he, I mean, he's not scary. He's the nicest guy in the world. But he, he made <laughs> if you look, look at him at first, right? Yeah, and without definitely. knowing him. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, yo, like, can I, can I talk to him after the game? She's like, of course. Like me and my dad go up to him and he was like, he's like, yo, like, I really like the way you play the game. He's like, I have a team that like travels all over the country and like, I would, I would like you to play for it. And at first we're like, like, whoa, like this is kind of crazy because it was like my 10 year, he was like, come to Indiana with us, come to Georgia with us, come to Florida with us, come to Arizona with us. And at first we're like, like dang, is this like what you like it really takes to like be good? And then like you kind of figure out that like it is, it is what it takes to be good. And so that was my first team was 3D gold. And so would you say that scenario? had to have been right place, right time over everything else because these people aren't just popping up to these 10U tournaments just to pop up. Like, they have to know something's going on and and the teams. Do you remember what – were you guys majors at that time? AAA, do you remember what what you guys were? Yeah, we were – so I was with Taggy Taggy Rutherford. Rutherford. You're good. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, and we were a majors team that year. Okay. Yeah. So, so because some people try to go, oh, those don't matter, but eyes on matter. Situations matter. So you start traveling with them. What was that part like? And how can you connect with these athletes that are from different areas? It's not like you're going to practice every week to play with your boys. Yeah. So they're like definitely weird because you, the first time you show up at the ballpark, like, so I knew his son, Deuce, because we just communicated and he was there too the day that I met him. But it's like you sh- literally show up and you meet 15 dudes that you've never met before. And, and you then, can't go hang out with them and have a barbecue yeah, no. at your house. It's like you literally show up and your first time you're like going up and you're dapping everyone up in the batting cages. And that's the <laughs> first time you meet people. And then you're like, you're like trying to like feel cadet. You're like, ooh, I like that kid's swing. You're like, man, like that kid just crushed that ball. Like, I don't know. And it, it's fun, but it's definitely, like, it's different learning to, like, play with new kids and just, like, get in the feel. And just being, like, comfortable being around kids who, like, might be better than you and you're, like, not used to that. There's a part there that we should get into as well. The transition from dad being coach to you going under the helm of someone else. What was that process like for you? And what, what did your dad do when you did participate with this team? Um. Yeah, so... It was just cool. My dad said it's just nice finally just being able to like chill in the stands and like just really being able to like enjoy the game and not having like micromanage like every bit of the team. Cause my dad, he's pretty like he's strict and he's definitely like, I want things to go the way that I want them to go when he's coaching. So it was just kind of nice. He said for him just like chill in the stands. And then for me, it's just nice because you know, let's say I strike out, I don't have someone giving me a death stare when I come back into the dugout. <laughs> Oh, okay, so okay, nice but up. Brian, we're, I'm going to come to you on this one only because you're a dad, and 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 your sons are. Young. I understand what he's saying from the outside looking in. He feels dad is good and everything's great, but you know, as a father, this isn't easy. 
you know those stares are still happening even though he's probably not looking because he's trying to get what the coach says what do you think it is for dad from the stands when that changes yes you get a release some yeah and obviously as a coach a head was he the head coach of your team those those duties are relinquished so you know how that is where you don't have that pressure of i gotta get all these games scheduled and all that you know this is someone else's schedule i mean sometimes i think about man it would sure not be nice to be in the stands and and not care but then i'd be like man i'd be way too hyper focused and how my kid is doing at that point right i mean sometimes it's a blessing being able to focus on you know 11 12 kids rather than just one kid you know because you know i mean obviously kids are going to mess up and there's been plenty at bats i'm like dude what are you doing i mean right but then it's like okay next man up right like this kid i gotta do this so it's tough i mean i don't i'd love to be a fan but i'd also it's kind of a blessing to be a coach too was there any uh obviously your dad has seen the competition that you're going up with and against do you remember any of those talks that you might have had with dad or anything that he kind of put him maybe a little better perspective because like you said you came from being the man to being a part of the men, yeah. you know, together. No, definitely. There would, you would show up, and I remember Max Burt, and he's he plays baseball at Iowa, and when we, we were young, I I have never seen someone hit the ball so hard in my life. My dad comes up to me like after the tournament, he was like, he's like, you want to be good?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "He's like, you need to watch him." And we were on the same team. He's like, he's like, you need to like be serious and like." You need to go like talk to him and like see what he does because he is good and he will be good. And shout out Max. He's, he's still good. He's still a dog. I love Max. I remember the hit tracks leagues against him and we'd be like, he's like hitting balls like 115. We're like, that can't be real. We're like, is this kid using yeah. a drop five right now? And then it's just like, no, like he is, he's the truth. He is very good at baseball. Well, Brian, you brought up a good thing the tools, the tracks. What is that league? What did that help? And and what did your what was your point of view from a coach and a and a trainer? And what was your view as a player when it came to the hit tracks kind of fun competitions? Well, I mean, there's so much so much data out there, you know. I mean, I think we know what like a division one player looks like. We know what a professional player looks like, right? So I mean, when you're on a machine like that, you're always chasing something. I mean, measurement is motivation, right? And I know like when you're you're uh, the the perfect game like indoor league that we had was awesome because one you're competing locally i mean it's competition in december in january when there is no other competition every swing matters you're trying to win and then you move on to like the regionals now you're playing the best kids out of iowa the best kids out of arkansas right and so you know it just gets to that and i remember just our team like facing off against some of those iowa teams is like how was he hit there was another person that went to duke i can't remember who it was um big lefty i can't remember like you know like the iowa kids i mean there's some big dudes that hit the ball really hard that we were constantly chasing constantly chasing i mean it was fun to watch yeah i would just say for me it was just like being competitive like obviously you're like like we can't lose these i remember brian printing out pictures of these kids <laughs> i was like you can't lose to that we won't lose to that. hey we weren't just competing on the computer yeah, screen nah, right? we, we were, knew these kids put a so face we need, we need a put visual. a face yeah we needed the visual and then we're like Let's get a die. I remember we'd always just try to assemble like the best hit tracks. Like I didn't care if you actually could hit in a game. If I knew you could hit off a machine, I'm like, we need you. I need you. <laughs> and we were just, we were like, just hit tracks to, like, recruiting going yeah, on we were here. Just trying to get everyone who could hit bombs. So how many of your teammates did you have to face in that, in that competition without being in the same room? 
Um, I don't know. We were faced because there was quite a few wire teams that we were just facing at the beginning. Yeah. So I would, I don't know, definitely double digit. But, yeah. And that was fun because, like, you know, you talk smack and be like, like, man, that all you got today? 96? Kind of soft. Like, oh, it's a home run, but only 350? Like, that's <laughs> it? And that, yeah, it definitely gets fun, gets competitive, gets a little chippy, get the music bumping a little bit. It's definitely a good time. You know, it's it's the off-season time that it's not everybody can find the fun what do you think led you to continue to work hard to achieve your goal that made it where not just the goal is there but the fun is there yeah i would say for this i'm probably going to talk about driveline for a little bit and like my journey with that so when i started driveline i think i was 11 or 12 yeah and i i what makes driveline fun is pull down days and that's like when you test yourself i remember like i started out and like my pull down was probably like you know 76 you know in there like it was pretty good but then like the next year goes from 76 like 82 and then you know go from like yeah i'd go from 82 to like 87 and then it's you know the first time i think it's probably like 13 or 14 you know you get your first 90 pull down you're like okay like this is cool but then it's like it's wanting more and more and then i got to the point where i was pulling down like in the hundreds and then you know, if I like, let's say my PR was like 101.3, if I hit 101.5 that day, it was like the biggest goal in the world to PR by 0.2. Like if you can't like find like ways to celebrate like the littlest wins in it, like it's going to be hard for you. And even if you have like a day, like me and Brian would talk about this because I was really competitive. Like, like I would like get like so into like I would be very upset if I like didn't like PR for the day and that became like hard for me. But do you have to learn like, you're going to plateau. You might have days where, you know, you throw 98 and then it's just like, like, that's okay. Like days like that are going to happen. And it's just like being able to like maybe use that failure as like more motivation or like, okay, what I do different from this week to that week. Like it's just constantly improving yourself and finding ways to get better. Well, Brian, and, and what does this atmosphere do for you? I mean, obviously he's also pointing out, cause I know people are watching. I know people are, are, are there. You don't know who's always eyes on young kids, older kids. What does that drive and that want help for people that come to Wired and, and, and want to use the driveline and see that the results are in the work, not just in the numbers? Yeah, I mean, uh, it rewards people who are consistent and understand that progress isn't linear. You know, like what Eli was talking about, right? Like progress is never a straight line up, you know, and, and sometimes you have your worst days right before you have your best days, you know? So, I mean, the culture that like you're competing against yourself, like you're trying to make yourself 1% better each time. Right. Um, I really think like that's the, if you have the athletes that, that dedicate to that culture and dedicate the, the consistency, you just do that a lot over time. Those are always going to be the best players. Well, and you said the 1% better. Was there any, so one thing I had my kids do when they were in middle school was try out for everything. So if it was cross country time, do cross country. Even though they could have played football, they played fo Kendall played football for uh, the Junior Titans program, not for the school, because I didn't want him doing both football. So he ran cross country, not a cross country runner, not a runner at all. But it teaches them when you go from a team game to your self game, how do you make those transitions from the team aspect to I got to do better for myself? Was there any sports or anything that you did that made yourself better to know that it's me against them, not 
the team against them. Like, are you saying like played an individual? Sport? Yeah, like was there any individual thing that might have helped you understand of how that is? Because he played team sports all the way up until then, and I think having those, whether it's track or whatever, those little things can help you become better to realize that that one percent can happen for yourself. Yeah, I never played like a sport where like I was the only one, so I never like wrestled or did a track. Like gotcha. That. But I would say like. Sometimes like you get to the point like in your training and it's like you need to be alone and it's like time for I'd say the most sometimes the most growth you can have is like by yourself and almost having like like a self-reflection. Like, I would look back on like a bad week and I'd be like, OK, like Monday. Yeah, I took Monday seriously. Tuesday, like what was I doing Tuesday? I, I was slacking like like I was cutting reps maybe or like I didn't stretch seriously enough or like it's just like it's holding yourself like accountable to like a higher standard of like. Like, how good do I want to be? It's like, if I want to be, like, SEC good, like, I need to hold myself to an SEC standard. You know what I mean? But if I want to go play, like, somewhere else, and, like, yeah, maybe I can, like, cut those reps if that's where I want to be, but that's never where I wanted to be. So I always just kind of had to find ways, like, hold myself to, like, a higher standard to where I could be, like, how do I get that 1%? Like, how do I keep getting it, like, each day? You brought up a big thing there, SEC able to play. What made it not be Big Ten able? What made it not Big 12 able? What made it not something in the Midwest? What was something that may have driven you to the SEC over locally? Um, For me, it's just the competition. Like, you're, you're not going to see any better competition than in the SEC. And I, I knew, like, I've always wanted to play with the best and against the best. And, like, what conference does that better than the SEC? So. Brian, of course, you deal with players no matter what college. None of that matters to you. But when you have kids that you have to adjust a little bit of some of their thinking, whether it's I just want to do good because it's for my homegrown team or I want to do good because I'm against the top competition, how do you kind of reflect that with them and make sure they're making the choice for themselves for the best reason instead of for that one reason? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, when I listen to Eli talk, I think – there's a skill that he just talked about that um, it takes a long time to develop and not a lot of people get it, but an accurate self-reflection of where he's at currently and where he need, wants to go. Right. I, I think that's like a big part. And as high school kids, I mean, we're still learning that skill and a lot of kids don't have that skill. So a lot of, a lot of people have big goals, but then like their actions never align with their goals, right? Like they're not willing to go spend time by themselves. So I think that's a, a great skill. Um, and, you know, if they're not willing to put in that work, I mean, sometimes then it's like, okay, maybe, maybe it's not here, you know, maybe like the best fit for you, like athletically and academically would be a smaller school. And then what's more important to you? Is it playing right away? Or is it going to school so you can wear a bunch of swag? And, you know, kind of understanding like, okay, what do you really want? Like, do you want a commitment post? Or do you want to go play? I think that's important. You got to have these conversations with the kids and really understand what they truly want. See, and I, I like that you brought that up because there's been episodes that you haven't been on and the people that are sitting in his very spot have said the same thing. What are you looking to get out of it? Do you want to be seen and known locally to where people remember you? Because unfortunately, once you leave Nebraska, these people forget sometimes unless you're constantly in the news, unless Kentucky wins the, you know, the, the College World Series, then everybody's going to go, oh, local Eli Small did this. But until then you're just going to be an SEC known kid for a lot of it. Now, of course, getting leaving here, 
everybody's going to recognize, hey, this kid got... But as soon as you go and you start playing, the name Eli Small around here is going to get small, literally. Does that ever reflect on you, or does that make you know that you made the right decision because it's all here and not based off of who recognizes who Eli Small is? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't care about anything that people think about me or, like, the decisions I've made. Obviously, like, you know, I've bounced around on a whole bunch of different teams. So, like, sometimes people don't like you for doing stuff like that or, like, leaving Blair. We made, you know, not enemies, but people are obviously, like, like man, like, or, like, people didn't like me because I never played for my Blair teams. I always was playing yeah. Omaha. Like, I've always said, Brian knows, like, I don't, I don't, you don't have to like me and it's okay because like everyone has different paths and everyone has different goals and you know, my goals might be up here and your goals might be down there. And like our paths just like, aren't the same. And like, that's totally okay. And it's like, I don't, you know, I want to go make a name for myself at a big, like, at a big school. And you know, some people are just happy with like staying home and stuff like that. And like, that's great. Like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing yeah wrong there is most nothing definitely wrong nothing wrong. I'm pretty sure. Am I wrong that, uh, I mean, you didn't even want to make your commitment post on Twitter, but it was like you had to make it so those other schools stopped, like, reaching out to you, yeah, right? Yeah, my dad made me post it. He was like, dude, you have to. Or, like, these teams are not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to stop having to yeah. empty a full because, mailbox. Like, for me, like, I don't have any posts on on Instagram. My only Twitter posts or stuff my dad's made me post. Like, like basically saying, like, thank you to, like, these stuff or, like, my commitment post and yeah, I'm just like focused on myself and I really don't care about like the outside influence that people might think about me. He just, if, if you're watching and your kid is worried about their post, th I mean, this is SEC playing right here telling you he didn't do anything he didn't need to do. That, I think that's where the mindset can change. Individuality, where did that start and when do you remember first going, I've got to go into the room for myself, the the simple yourself practices and not everybody else. When did that start for you? And where did that come from? Um, that definitely started when um, my friends in Blair, they would always like, you know, give me a little bit of crap, like, oh, like, we'd be so good, like, if you played here. and that, But it was always like, like, my team would always be in the gold bracket and their team would always be in the bronze bracket. And so just kind of like things like, well, like, you know, my team, my team, I think it's just going to like better for me, better for my development. And I'd say just from there, it's just like, not like, obviously I care what people think, but if they're like judging you for like the decisions and you think that they're maybe trying to hold you back, you don't have to like cut them out of your life. Just like, don't listen to them as like their opinions on stuff like that. I would just saying it's whatever your goals are, you have to strive to do what's best for you. And, you know, sometimes it might make some people upset or you might have to lose some people for it, but if it's truly your goal and that's what you want, like I would say definitely push for it. Well, and I always say, I always told my kids, especially in high school, these people aren't going to pay your bills. When you got to go into the real world, no matter what they've said, what they've done, they're, they're not the ones that's going to have to write that paycheck uh, off to pay for the house that you want to live in, drive the cars you want to live in. So, of course, you're now going through the process with Kentucky. You're getting to do that. Right before then, what was the biggest change that you think was your make from going from high school to to that getting to the college level? I would say definitely the intensity of work is a huge change. You go from like high school practice, and someday you might be like, man, that, that high school practice was kind of tough. Like your hardest high school practice will be a cakewalk practice for you in college. Like if especially when you're in those 20-hour weeks, like you need to be ready to do have a three and a half hour practice. To go straight into your hour and a half lift, 
go back to the classroom for a film review. And then maybe if you like want to take that next step, you're going to like do your own individual film review with that, with the coach. And like, all of a sudden you're like, man, I was at the field for seven hours today. Now, when it comes to these coaches, are they coming to ask you to do these things? Or is this something just like with every other college thing? If you're not asking, they're not going to be providing a lot of it either. Yeah, it's definitely a, you have to go ask. And but they they want it. They want you to ask. But if you're not willing to like reach out and like maybe step out of your comfort zone, like with that coach that's like fairly new to you, like they're not going to be like, like yo, Eli, let's let's go look at your catching video today. Like let's see how you looked catching this guy. It's going to be like 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 yo, coach, like can we take a look at that? Can you like show me like some things I was doing good, some things I need to work on? Maybe go show me a couple drills that will like help me with that. And if you're not willing to do that, then they're not going to help you with it. Brian, catcher extraordinaire right here. What do you think having a facility that he can go to like yours helped him grow to who he is as a just a little piece? At no time is anybody saying Wired is the reason, but there is little chunks that they can get from each place they travel to to get those pieces to get them better. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I mean, I don't think we can credit our facility any of his success. I mean, like it, Eli is truly a unique individual that – you know, I mean, he looks at catching like that's his career. That's what he wants to improve on. And it's still like, I mean, I would say it's still a constant process. I mean, you kind of, you made a comment uh, to me and, and I'm just going to share it. But like, I'm a big 12 catcher. I'm an SEC bat, but a big 12 catcher right now. Right. So like, it's still, he's still working on it and just having access to a facility, obviously in town. I mean, we've been blessed with a lot of good pitchers that he's been able to, um catch and receive and hopefully prepare him a little bit more to catch consistently the arms that but i mean it's it's a whole thing for him i mean how many when you were in high school like talk about your team like how many hours a week were you putting into like catching workouts <laughs> like one maybe like catchers i'd say definitely get neglected in their work and because it's just like Who's like coaches don't want to take the time to like go set up like a machine on like the side and like let catchers like receive, let catchers block. Like I would say the only times catchers really get like working is like you're in and out and you're just like catching and making tags and maybe making a couple throws to second. So let's expand on that then. How many times outside of practice were you working on catching? Uh, I was aiming for at least four to five days a week to get extra catching working on my own. What What do you think is the number one drill that, that if if I'm a catcher coming up through high school that I should be working on individually that I can do myself? Um, well, obviously the biggest thing in catching is catching the ball and receiving it because you do that about 95% of the time because so many people are like worried. I know this was like a thing for me is like, Oh, I want to get that pop time down. Oh, I, well, I mean, get... you got one of the quickest pop times out there. So you did that all right. But yeah. I get what you're saying. Because people are just like so worried about like the numbers aspect when really it's like a pitcher is going to love you if you make them look good when they're <laughs> pitching. How many strikes can you steal? Yes. If you can steal strikes like Devin Burks, the, our catcher for Kentucky, is amazing. Like he last year, he was set, stole the second most strikes in, in the in the country had no errors behind the plate just like learning from him catching has been like amazing and if you're like not willing to put in the work receiving you're never going to be a good catcher if you can't receive the ball good who was the catcher that you looked up to when you were growing up and what made you even choose catching over anything else um i would say the catcher that i looked at the most was 
I don't know, probably a little bit more recent. I'm a big JT Relamuto fan just because if you look at him, his receiving is very, very good. And some people, like, a lot of people, like, watching a baseball game will never, like, appreciate, like, a good catcher just because it's just, like, they just, like, expect them to, like, catch it and be good when these guys are throwing, like, 99-mile-an-hour sinkers and sliders that have 25 inches of movement. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, I could do that. Like, all he's doing is catching the ball. But he's, like, he's catching it. He's presenting it. He's making it look good to the umpire. It's just, like, all of these things. Starstruck moment. Have you had one yet? Um, I mean, you've been to so many big camps. Is there any big people that you've seen that have that have really made you just stop for a moment and take a blessing of what you've just realized where you're at? Uh, I would say not really. I would say Devin Burks, the catcher from Kentucky, because he was had a very good year last year, and I was like so excited to meet him. And I remember like when I first met him, I like I was just kind of like disbelief because people like call him like happiest man in the sec because i swear like that is like true like he's actually the most like positive like brings the energy to practice every day like the nicest human in the world like if you were to like meet him you'd be like is this kid like putting on like a little bit of like like a persona for me just to like seem like that but that's like just how he is like, the genuineness day. yeah it's the, the real it's just how he is when you think of catching, you know, one of the things that I could say from my own son experience is he had to catch some of the fastest eight, nine U lefties ended up catching catcher's thumb from it. What do you, what do you have for, for that stuff? Have you ever had an experience in that or anything that you can say people have adjusted for that? Yeah. Well, for me, I remember even my first week at college, uh, my like finger was completely black and blue on my pointer finger just from like catching so much. And I don't know, it's part of it. And definitely like, adjusting to like all of your pitchers is like really tough especially if they're like at that elite level it's just like that's just part of it being a catcher like you're gonna get thumbed and it's gonna hurt really bad but it's just gotta embrace the suck yeah it's gonna suck like i remember like my dad when i was first catching he would literally get away he'd be three feet from me and he would just pelt balls at my mask <laughs> and be like yo this is catching bro like you're gonna get hit like you are going to get hit and that's just like part of it and like it sucks like you're gonna have a beat up body a lot people are gonna be like you know i remember like when i was here and i was flex like look look at the seam mark right here so <laughs> i blocked this ball at. i mean if you can't embrace the pain then it's probably it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to be a catcher for you man. now i know outfit is a secondary for you if catcher wasn't it is there another pitcher uh, another position that you would have wanted growing up um or that you enjoyed but you just weren't at the level that you wanted to be yeah, I would say I've definitely learned to like kind of like playing right field was definitely my other thing because it still it allowed me to kind of like show off a little bit more of my athleticism that I had and because I still got to throw the ball hard. So that was see, I, I I think right field I think is sometimes untreasured for the wrong reasons because a lot of people want to be that strong left-handed hitter and that's where they're gonna pull it. You're gonna get some of the best swings in the country with the left-handed swing or left side swing. So you're going to get more play than you think. Now, of course, if you think of your outfield experience, was there anybody that you looked up when it came to the outside outfield part? Uh, definitely. I mean, I loved Bryce Harper. So definitely just like watching him growing up, like playing outfield and just like seeing how he did it and just like the emotion he had for the game. Like I loved it. I actually want to go back to something on right field. Like, because when you're younger, people are like, it's like a stereotype. Like, oh, we put our worst player. Yes. Out. We put our worst player out in right field. But like, 
with when you get to like high school and college, like, like especially in like the pro, pros, like so many balls are going to the outfield and like pivotal game changing moments like happen there. Like if you don't have like a good outfield, like your team is not going to be good. Gosh, man. I mean, and two, like, you know, usually your right fielder has your biggest arm, right? And yeah. They're going to have the farthest throw to third base, you know? So you got to put an athletic guy with a big arm in right field. But so. most coaches don't, like he said, at a young age. And so then by the time the kids do get to high school, their they're love for it, their want to do it, 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 it's hard to get unless someone captures you. What do you think was your first capture moment to say, that's where I want to be? Was um, it the throwing? Yeah, it's probably definitely a little bit of the throwing and just like like catching yours kind of like sitting. I feel like it just allowed me to like just be free a little bit, you know, be able to like move around, you know, kind of different sets of like communication with like different players. Like I maybe like wouldn't get to like be with of as much. And I just, I don't know, it was definitely tough for me. Like I didn't like pick it up right away. Like me and my dad definitely spent a lot of time like him hitting me fly balls and like reading the ball because a lot of balls to right are going to have side spin because I mean, if they're hit pure, obviously it's probably going to be more flush to center. And it's like learning how to adjust to those different types of like spins getting put on the ball. So you think back to this this summer before we get you out of here, we got to at least touch base all the way up until you get to Kentucky. What was the grind and what was the stuff that people don't know about baseball, whether it's the staying with host families, knowing that your family's back here, but you're doing what you need to do in this travel ball. What was your biggest things that you could take away and what's some things that you'd pass on to others? Yeah, I would just say you're going to have to give, if you want to be, I would say play at an elite level for baseball, you're going to have to basically sacrifice like your summers. And that's just how it is around here. Like, I haven't been on a family vacation since I was 12 and I'm, you know, Well, yeah, that's because now. we, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Some of the times we went out of town, we had to make the best, like as if it was a family vacation. I remember doing that too. And just so I basically, when I was my 16 year summer, I had a team that very fortunate, uh, tops team Ohio. They were paying for all of my flights and all of my hotels. So basically every weekend of my 16 year summer, I was gone. My 17-year summer, I lived with the host family in Atlanta, so I was gone the whole entire summer. And then I'll talk a little bit about my most recent. I played up in the PGCBL League in New York, Socrates, New York, with the Socrates Stallions, and you know, gone the whole summer. And I'd say living with the host family is, me personally, I love it. It, it was amazing, and because I'm like a big routine guy, so. Every morning, I wake up, go to the deli, get a bacon, egg, and cheese, go straight from there, hit the gym. Then you go up, meet up at the facility with the boys, you know, hang out, get some swings in. And then every day, you got a game at 7 o'clock, get the game, feed you a little meal after, and that's that's your day, every day. And you, I don't know. It was, for me, it was like, like, this is like my life. Like, I love this. It's training, eating, and playing baseball, and that's all I want to do. So. Brian, on that part of the life – you see people sometimes give up on that. What do you think made Eli different on that part? You know, I think uh, everything Eli said, there's always been like uh, an end goal in sight, right? Like he understands that these are all just little stepping stones along the way. You know, I mean, yeah, he talked about like, okay, like I want to go play in the SEC, but I know, I know there's another goal after the SEC that, you know, he's talking about and has a plan and like a timeline and everything. So, you know, I think it's seeing a big picture and, and getting back to like, what do you really want? 
right? And and if I really want this, like, what do I need to do and how do I need to go about it? So I think every path he's taken, every place he's went, he's understood that it takes what it takes. This is what these guys are doing at this next level. And I'm going to, I'm not the first one. I'm not the first one going through this experience. When you look at each coach change that you've had, that you've went through, what's one thing that you could say that you've learned from each of them? It's just, I love picking coaches brains and it's just like finding like maybe like a little thing that like helped make him successful as a coach or a player. And then just like collecting all of them and just like taking everything in and being like, Sometimes you'll have a coach where you're like, man, I don't agree with you on that, but I really like what you're doing on that side of it. And not being so like, oh, man, like, I don't like that. Like, I'm not going to listen to anything he says now after he said, like, he didn't like my swing. But it's like, like, pick his brain. Like, see, like, maybe, like, look at him, like, ask him about your defensive position and, like, see what he likes there and just stuff like that. It's just you have to be open-minded and, like, be willing to, like, ask questions. Like, if not, I feel like it's really hard to, like, get that 1%, like find that edge, like find like that, like maybe like the aha moment in your career. We'll get you out of here on this. What is the biggest thing that you feel you've adjusted to, to make you sec ready for this upcoming season? I would definitely just say my mental approach at the plate and just like learning to like be okay with hitting behind in the count and learning to have just a backside approach. If you cannot hit the ball, the backside at an elite level you can never play college baseball i don't know brian brian i tell you man if anybody listens to this if you don't i'm sorry if you're looking to play baseball because eli has laid out a lot of tracks a lot of key points that just get left unknown sometimes because people are afraid of like you said sharing what you learn sharing the experience of if i'm not constantly fine-tuning and questioning I think the whys are very important to you. Where did you get that from to learn to ask those whys? My dad, definitely, because he would always be like, when I was like, had all these like phone calls with these teams, he would make me write out five questions. And like, I would like detail, write everything that they would tell me. And I would just say like from that, and I was always just super curious. Cause like when I was, when I was with Dominic, like I knew he had been an elite athlete. I wanted to be like, like, how did he get there? Like, like, why do you do that? And, like, Brian, like, Brian has always been my throwing guy. I'm like, okay, like, like he'll Brian will be laying down in front of me while I'm on the mound getting this angle so that we can, like, look at, like, like is my arm not coming through like it should be? And it's just, like, it's so many little things that, like, if I can just get a little bit from everyone around me, it's just going to make me, like, such a better player. Like, I'm, like, always willing to, like, go out of my way to, like, ask questions I tell you, if you watch this episode and you didn't take one piece away, the biggest thing is be coachable, but also be willing to put in that time that others aren't. If you want to make it and you, your level of where you want to make it is not going to always be the same, and that's okay. Once again, this is an episode of Wired Access Podcast, a Herd at Sports production, Brian Southworth of Wired Training, Mr. Kentucky SEC Wildcats baseball player Eli Small from Elkhorn South, and I'm DJ KW Omaha. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. A Heard at Sports Network production.